Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Word Books with Friends. Today, it's me, Paul, joined by my wonderful co-host, Chris. Hi, it's me again. It's always us. Imagine that. And we're discussing Chapter 13 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Nicholas Lamel. If you've ever been wondering, why can't I quite remember somebody's name? Why are all those history classes that I took with Professor Binks slipping through my mind? The wonderful people at Chocolate Frogs have just the thing for you. The wizarding cards found in every pack of Chocolate Frogs. Just to help you remember those delicious tidbits with an even more delicious Chocolate Frog. It's go time. Things are finally starting to come together for uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione. It only, it only took them, like, what, eight chapters? To finish the mystery that they could have solved? Ron, I'm looking at you. Yeah, yeah. We can talk about that a little bit uh, when we get to it. But this opens up with basically Harry having another nightmare. He just finished being told by Dumbledore not to go looking for the Mirror of Erised again. Basically remembering his parents' death. This is what, the fourth bad dream that he's had uh, in this book? So basically one every three chapters mm-hmm. and i'm wondering if it's setting us up to show that harry lives with mental torment he knows what it's like to be under siege from his own mind that's why he can deal with voldemort's occlumency so well later on maybe he's building up a tolerance i think it's also really setting the the tone like this is going to be a constant thing like this is his spider sense because even in a couple chapters from now he mentions like no i I think my scars warning me when, when something's wrong. So this is when we're really getting those first kind of hints that there is that bigger connection between him and Voldemort. Cause at this point now, like we'll soon be learning. Uh, we already know it, but you know, Voldemort's back. He is a presence in the castle. He's a threat and he's kind of becoming more and more powerful while he's also getting more and more frustrated. So I think part of it might be that connection as well. Chapter really starts going, and what leads to the uh, solving of the mystery is none other than Neville Quidditch Longbottom. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought I thought it was I thought it was gonna be Quidditch because it could have been. Oh, so close! <laughs> it's been a good two, three chapters since we've had a uh, more Quidditch talk. I have in my notes here too. Less Quidditch is still too much Quidditch. I understand it's you know a big part of the Wizarding world, but crux like this is when everything really starts ramping up because we're approaching the end. And again, like that, the Quidditch stuff just distracts me from everything else that I like about this book. And one of those things I do like about this book is uh, Neville. I thought that right in the beginning of the chapter, Neville comes in. But you're right. They, they're talking about the how Wood is really keeping them on their paces because they're just one win away. One win away from winning, taking the house championship. Or house. Also for this match with Gryffindor going up against Tufflepuff, Professor Snape's actually going to be roughing the game, which is interesting that they have the potions professor refing the game instead of Madame Hooch, who seems just, you know, she's the flying teacher. Like she'd be the clear choice to have in charge of this. Uh, she's not a head of a house like Snape is with Slytherin. Mm-hmm. So she really has no horse in the race at all. Like she's just there impartial. 
but also just everything that we know about Snape at this point, and then everything we know about him you know, going further through the next six books of the series, it would be really awkward to see him on a broom refing a game, I think. And that's probably why he's calling so many fouls, because he's probably not keeping up with the actual action and really keeping an eye on it. And he's probably just being like, oh, that must have been a foul. Gryffindor, bleh, foul. Go ahead, take your free shot there, Hufflepuffs. And also Hufflepuffs. Probably, you know, need a little help. They, yeah, they probably need all the help that they can get. But that's also part of Wood's big speech is, hey, you know what? We know Snape's going to have it out for us, so we just need to try to win this game as quick as possible. That way he can't catch us on anything else. And five minutes in, Harry catches the snitch. Game over. Like, that's that's impressive. Breaks a record right there. It's a house record, a school record. Something Harry can hang his hat on that... That's something he accomplished all on his own. It didn't matter who he that he's the boy that lived. That's an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to see that. He can feel like he earned it. And I think sometimes we need to, as people, we need to look back on our accomplishments. I know I get a little preachy here. It's weird. Um, <laughs> and, and actually feel like you earned those. Because otherwise, Harry would always suffer from that imposter syndrome. That, oh, maybe I'm not good enough. And you know what? As readers, we're going to give him that imposter syndrome just because we're going to say, no, you lucked into everything anyways, Harry, because you had Hagrid, Hermione, and Ron helping you. Mm-hmm. He looks into a lot of stuff. He does, but this, this he earned. This this he does earn, but we, we're we still kind of jumping a little bit ahead because we do have those Neville moments that we were kind of talking about before. You know, Neville's kind of the whipping boy. Uh, I refer to him as Jerry Gergich in my notes for this episode. If you're a fan of Parks and Rec, you get that because at this point, it's really becoming clear to me that anytime that we see Neville on page, he's there to be the whipping boy. Like he's there to fail on something. He's there to be made fun of. And these books really do him dirty. And I'm really looking forward to seeing his rise to becoming like that true, true Gryffindor that's able to pull the sword from the hat down the road once we get to the Battle of Hogwarts. Right now, you need side characters that the other characters can act accordingly around. So, yeah, Neville is set up to be the fall guy. So we can see uh, Hermione being caring and not being not laughing at him. We can see Harry provide encouragement, kind of taking on a little bit of a leadership role, <laughs> even with, come on, you're worth as 12 Malfoys. He's stuck in stupid uh, Slytherin. You're you're Gryffindor. You're with us. You're you're part of my team. So at least Neville gets something to do versus character that could have easily had more to do in this book. Uh, Pavardi. Mm-hmm. She gets a hug, you know, in this chapter, and that's like the last we hear from her again. And we only heard of her when she was sticking up for Neville in the uh, flying class. So this book is kind of a very fast read. I think if it was a longer, more young adult book versus a children's book maybe we would get more neville actually not just being a chump yeah because we do get small things and i do champion those moments you might be championing the chump moments but i i champion it's just hard not to because anytime he does get one of those other moments there's something there right after him to to undercut it it feels like the only reason he gets those moments where he can't stand up is just so they can knock him down right after it and we do see that kind of later on just at the actual Quidditch match where he does try to stand up to Crabbe and Goyle and Malfoy. Um, Malfoy then starts picking on Ron more 
after Neville kind of says his piece. And then Ron's the one that snaps and jumps over the bleachers and starts attacking Malfoy. And it doesn't take even a second for Neville to jump in. Truth. So I'm saying, hey, that's that's a good moment. You know why? It's because they shared that moment where Harry gives Neville his chocolate frog. His last chocolate frog, actually. And uh, Neville being a good guy gives harry's like hey you're collecting these cards you should have the card ellie and there's the mystery solved solved finally uh because on that card it turns out it's a dumbledore one again and as harry's looking at he's mentioned like oh dumbledore i'm like that's the first one i necklace for mel again the answer was there in front of them the whole time and you made mention of this too once we've originally heard the name nicholas for it does kind of snap into place for them that no well, the reasons we've never been able to find anything about him is because all the books we've been reading are way too new this is from years ago this dude's over 600 years old yeah he's 665 chris his wife 658 well i've heard the 600s are the new 30s actually oh yeah so we do get the chocolate frog card coming back again and then something that i kind of neglected to look into originally when we first got this card when they were on the hogwarts express is one of the things that dumbledore is champion for in addition to his defeat of the Dark Wizard Grindelwald, is the discovery of the 12 uses of Dragon's Blood. Which made me think, like, well, just what are those uses? So I just did a little bit of Google-foo to try to find out what they are. And there's only two that have been mentioned. The first one came from J.K. Rowling when she was asked about this. She was very coy and said, oh, well, I'm not telling anybody what they are, but one of them is to be used as an oven cleaner. Then the second one we find out actually comes from the scriptwriter for the Harry Potter films. He reached out to J.K. Rowling to say like, hey, you know, this is one of those throwaway lines in the books, 12 uses of dragon's blood. What are they? Just so he could have that information. Uh, his name's Steve, Steve Clovis, and he worked really close with J.K. Rowling when it came to writing the scripts because there was stuff that was in the books that was just one of those throwaway lines that would become something bigger later. And he equated this to a discussion with her about the inclusion of Dobby in the movies. And she was like, no, like he needs to be there. He serves a purpose. So upon asking her, she did submit to him a list of what the 12 were. He did not give any of them away because he was asked about it in an interview. Uh, the only one that he said was it can also be used as a spot remover. So some pretty mundane uses for a spectacular substance with dragon's blood. At some point, who knows? We might find out the other ten. Uh, we might get those from one of our Fantastic Beast movies, or when um, Dumbledore finds Horus Slughorn. Doesn't Slughorn ask like, "What gave me away?" And wasn't it Dragon's Blood? Uh, yeah, it was the he used Dragon's Blood to like spray on the walls. It wasn't human blood. So well, it I looks like human blood. So for that, it, it was probably just. I'm not assuming. Well. It, it, I mean, possibly because, you know, what gets out dragon's blood? Oh, dragon's blood? I think for that, though, it was probably a case of Dumbledore knowing that it's dragon's blood due to his research and work with it, while anyone else seeing it would probably just think, like, oh, this is blood. As someone in the potion-making community, Slughorn probably had some sort of uh, easy access to it, and that's just what he went to. I mean, I'm not sure what the rules or laws are for blood, uh, especially in the 90s in the UK because I know you can't just you can't just go to your, your butcher store and buy blood like it's it's illegal that's why you can't actually get real um, blood sausage here unless you have like a 
you own like a butcher shop and you're able to make it right there. Like you can't just go out and buy blood. Yep. I've never wanted to buy blood. Again, one of those things that I learned probably a decade ago because I was curious about it uh, after watching is either like an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer or the spinoff series Angel where a character is buying blood from a butcher. And I'm just like, could you actually do that? And I, I looked into it and I'm like, oh, no, you, you really can't. Because it's not treated with anything. Blood's blood. There's probably ways around. Uh, maybe. If you, verbiage there. If you own a butcher shop, and I'm sorry, I'm going to get off the topic. We're, we're, we're already off the rails. Oh, we're, we're off the rails now, everybody. Strap in. If you, So the verbiage there, if you own a butcher shop and you produce the blood there, if I was a part owner of said butcher shop, then I could then have the blood, correct? I'm, I'm assuming since, I mean, it, it's yours, you probably wouldn't be able to... Like, buy it like if it was just some sort of you know runoff like a waste product and like you did something else with it at that point it's probably let's say i was a butcher and i had that waste product and there was people that wanted to buy chicken blood you know pig's blood whatever and the law said that only only if you own the butcher shop could you you know keep it for your own use well then i would just sell a share in my butcher (laughs) shop to those people that wanted to buy blood, and let's say that they had to pay me to or own part of the, my butcher shop, eh, fifteen bucks a month. And hey, if they came in and bought, you know, picked up some blood, I didn't charge them for the blood. They just happened to, you know, be part owners, and they would pick up the stuff. There would be a way around it. Ways around it, much like how you could get a dragon's egg from someone. Yeah, <laughs> someone in a bar. Stay tuned you for can't. the. Stay tuned for the next chapter, everybody. Here on Word Books with Friends. Law says you can't buy one. Nothing about you can't winning one. I mean, that, that's basically fireworks in New York. It's illegal to have them. It's not illegal to buy them, but nobody sells them because it's illegal. Like, it's yeah. it's weird. Ways around it. You know who would find a way around it? Slytherins. Slytherins. At this point, Ron and Hermione figure out who Nicholas Fumel is. Chris, you were talking about it before the show. You're like, wow, how, you know, it took him this long. And I'm just saying, Harry read this strange word, two-word pairing that happens to be a name. Nicholas Flamelli? Flamelli? Flamma? Flam? You know, if I was reading it as an 11-year-old, would I pronounce it Nicholas Flamel? Or would I look at it and be like, or would I just kind of glance over it like, oh, name. Mm -hmm. Weird name. And the kid has just been reading a bunch of weird names in his history book. Heck, he just pulled Hedwig out of the book and he doesn't even remember where it comes from it's just a strange witch nobody remembers who had Hedwig was so hearing a name and like just glancing over a name i think is is a big difference and i i can give them a lot ron and harry a lot of leeway there and i I respect that because after you argued that point i'm like okay you know what that does make sense because hearing it and reading it two separate things because i know when even as an adult now when i read names sometimes i just see like you said like okay and name continuing on there's real world examples of that i could go through but they're all too nerdy for me to do in dealing with final fantasy 7 characters <laughs> i won't it's pronounced chocobo <laughs> huh. see i already i always read it as chocobo but that's also i mean growing up and playing those games on nintendo before like Final Fantasy VII came out on the PlayStation, like, kind of lucked into that reading of it, I guess. After all this, we we get them finally putting it together. Then we actually get the Quidditch match. We, t- we talked about that a little bit more. I don't know if there's anything else I have to say about that. It's Quidditch. Because the next big thing that happens is post-Quidditch match, when Harry's going to put his broom away, he happens to see Snape sneaking out of the school to 
uh, head towards the Forbidden Forest. And there he has a meeting with one uh, Professor Quirrell. And this, I can understand the interaction that we're seeing between Snape and Quirrell looking very suspicious because we don't know what Snape's up to at this point. Uh, We've seen him interacting with Quirrell before. He's very threatening to him. The kids just don't have all that information. And a lot of that information they're not going to get until the end of this book. And even further on down the road, like Harry's not going to know all of this until uh, he gets those memories from Dumbledore that actually set Snape out on this mission. Because we do learn eventually that Dumbledore knew something was up with Quirrell and he charged Snape with keeping an eye on him. For this, I have a discussion conversation written down. Uh, Because at this point, we already know that Quirrell's holding the disembodied spirit of Voldemort. They're entwined together. They're one. We know that everything Quirrell's doing is to recover the Sorcerer's Stone. That way he can bring Voldemort back to full power. We've already heard from Ron that at one point, Snape was a Death Eater. We know that he was rumored to be a dark wizard. So it's safe to assume that Quirrell knows this as well. If a student like Ron's able to find this out, it's probably, you know, all the talk at the Hogwarts teacher's lounge, water cooler, water cauldron, whatever they have. So my question, how different do you think this conversation could have gone if Quirrell was like, no, bro, I'm cool. Like, check out the back of my head. Voldemort's right here. I'm trying to bring him back. Do you think Snape still would have acted accordingly? Would he have reported back to Dumbledore at this point? I think he would have. Uh, but how different do you think everything could have gone if Quirrell had just been like, no, bro, be cool? Snape would have to have played it accordingly. And, you know, he's a, he's good at being a double agent. We, we know he's able to like, act quick on his feet like, later on in the books. Like he's, he's in deep cover at that point. But this is, this is before all that, too. Like he just, Dumbledore said him to say, say hey, Quirrell's up to something. I need you to keep an eye on him. So he's already being like the good soldier at that point. But th- and the thing, what's really good is that if Snape's playing is playing that role in front of Quirrell, which is really in front of Voldemort, like it gives Voldemort even less reason to ever believe that Snape has turned. Mm-hmm. Here we are. You got to get Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, I don't know how different would it play out. Maybe you got to catch Quirrell in the act, right? Yeah. Like, you got to play it out completely. Like, you can't jump on him too early because he couldn't. It's like one of those things where you can't let world know it was Snape that turned him in. Yeah, because it is mentioned in one of the later books. Uh, once Voldemort is back, I don't remember which one it is, but Snape's talking to uh, Bellatrix Lestrange. And he says, like, well, no, like I thought it was just Quirrell trying to get to it. I, I didn't know at that time that, you know, he was trying to do it for Voldemort. He thought he was trying to stop, you know, another professor from getting to the Sorcerer's Stone for something. Honestly, the last charm on it that Dumbledore has stumps Quirrell. Mm. It stumps him. So it's safe. Maybe there's another charm on there in that room that let, would let Dumbledore know that the Sorcerer's Stone has been found. Because Dumbledore does show up pretty quickly to find Harry. Mm-hmm. I haven't reread the last chapter yet, but from what I remember, it seems like Oh, no, it's pretty quick secession that Dumbledore is there. I don't think the owl that uh, Ryan and Hermione send really played that much of a difference. So, no, I think it plays out exactly the same, even if Quirrell does show him that he's working for Voldemort. I 
don't think it would cause Snape that much trouble, even talking with, in the later books with Strange, being like, no, th- that was a task assigned to Quirrell. I did all that I could to help the guy, but he was a baboon. I think if it had gone that way too, Snape would have reported back to Dumbledore, and they possibly would have either pulled the stone or like swapped it out with like a decoy and moved it somewhere else secure. Well, maybe that's why the mirror of Erised was really moved there. Like he was going to move it there, and you know, anyways. I, I do think it was part of the plan originally because there's no other reason for him to have that. And then we'll talk about it more later, but there's ways past everything else in, uh, in defense of the sorcerer's stone. So I think ultimately that was part of the plan to begin with, because he did call on the rest of the professors to do something. And that's basically the chapter, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it from here on out. It goes kind of in a breakneck speed. I think we get just a little bit more weird Hogwarts going as on, but here on out, it's, the mystery has been solved of who Nicholas Fromell is, and uh, now we just need to know the, the other mysteries. Why would uh, Snape would want it other than to become rich? One mystery leads to another, and one chapter leads to the next.